Easter is coming in just a few weeks. Uh, uh, it's just around the corner. And so I want to share with you a few of things that are going on here uh, around Easter and our celebration of the resurrection. Uh, we've been setting aside uh, our second Wednesday each month uh, and calling people that will to fast and to pray intentionally uh, with us and for what God is doing in this world and through his church. And so we're going to do something different this second Wednesday uh, in April. Uh, we're going to invite you, uh, when you can, where you can, uh, to pray. But we don't want you to come to the building necessarily to pray. Uh, we want you to, if the weather permits, to walk, to bike, uh, to drive around your neighborhood, around your county, uh, mile blocks, whatever that is, and pray for your neighbors and pray that they would come to know the hope uh, that you possess. And then if you have time to come and just to park in our parking lot or walk around our building and pray for the lives that can be impacted through Easter here at LCC. Uh, we won't be gathering in this space. We wanna encourage you uh, to pray again for your neighbors uh, and even for our church and to maybe take action. It's a great opportunity to take your family, to jump in the car uh, and to pray. Pray for people by name if you know them. Uh, pray over them in general if you don't know them. Maybe take the opportunity if they're out in the yard to get out and meet them so you know how to pray for them. Um, but that will be a part of what we do this Easter. Uh, the second thing is that we're having a Good Friday uh, worship experience in here at seven o'clock on Good Friday. It'll last about 30 minutes and uh, you won't want to miss that. Uh, the final thing is that for our Easter services, we're doing our 4.30, a Saturday late afternoon uh, Easter worship experience. And then we're also doing our Sunday uh, normal time, nine o'clock and 10.30. And so those are our Easter plans. Uh, so you can make uh, time and space. I, I would encourage you, um, if, you, if you're worried about space, to come to that Saturday. Uh, this is a year where spring breaks do not fall uh, around Easter. In fact, both of our major school systems are on spring break this coming week. That's why there's a few more empty seats in the room. Uh, you can be angry because they're in Florida and uh, they're basking in the sun while you're in March with tree buds on the ground and snow on your cars. So, um, uh, but, but, but it should be a full weekend. And so we would love to see you uh, pray with us, join us on Good Friday, and then worship with us uh, Saturday or Sunday. I wanna pray and then we're gonna jump into his word together. God, uh, it's just a privilege uh, to, to speak to you, um, to seek you uh, with uh, brothers and sisters, men and women, young and old, who uh, are striving to, to find the purpose that you've set for them in this world. God, I am so deeply grateful for the words we have from your son on the cross. And I pray that even if they're well-known, they would speak with renewed power. God, I pray for those in this room who are perhaps far from you, maybe even those tuning in online who are desperate, that they would see something in you that drives them to turn from how they live, to turn towards you and your life. And God, I pray, we pray for maybe those in this room or online who have walked away from you, that they would be drawn to repentance anew. And God, I pray for those who are living faithfully, that they would be met in their grief, their sorrow, their heartache, and even their joy, and be encouraged in the life that you've called them to. We trust you for this. In your name we pray.
Amen. It's a question I've asked you before, but I want you to entertain it again. Uh, when was the last time that you were significantly moved, stirred with emotion uh, for the circumstances of another? When was the last time that you were, were moved with compassion for the suffering, the trial, the grief, uh, the medical diagnosis, the, the hurts, the heartaches of someone else? When was the last time you were just deeply moved? One of the recent times for me was this last week. Uh, a week ago, this past Thursday, I received a phone call from a relative that I had not spoken to in probably 35 or 36 years. It was a second cousin of mine. Our paths had not crossed, and she was desperate. Her mother, uh, my great-aunt Doris, had died, and uh, my great-aunt had asked for uh, certain ministers to do her funeral, and those ministers were unavailable. And my uh, cousin calls and says, your dad says that you're a minister. Can you help? And as I heard her speak about just wanting to honor her mom, um, I was moved with compassion and stirred for what she was experiencing. When I was at that funeral and when I took a break from my words and people came to the podium to share, I, I watched as my own dad, who is often soft-spoken, stepped up to the podium and he begins to share about his aunt and his uncle, my great aunt and my great uncle. And I listened and I watched as my dad spoke about them as second parents to him. And I saw my dad's chin quiver, and I was moved. I was touched by what this meant to him. And in that moment, as my heart went out to him, I, I only knew to pray even as he shared. When was the last time you were moved? Maybe you've been moved by recent events in our community. Maybe you've been moved by the atrocities and the anguish of people suffering in Ukraine. I received an email sharing the story of a former TCM student, a graduate of TCM, similar to what Kurt and I are. TCM has been a global partner of ours. A student, a graduate who has planted more than 100 churches in Ukraine, wrote them an email about two and a half weeks ago. And I want to read that to you because it was deeply moving to me. Uh, the city, we can't share the name of the individual or where they're at because of security. But the student and his wife, uh, the graduate, sorry, and his wife are in a city that's now been taken over by Russian forces. Here's the email from two and a half weeks ago. For the past few days around the city, we've been hearing volleys of heavy guns from which the earth groans. Lines outside supermarkets are getting longer every day. My wife and I do not feel the need for anything. For example, a couple of days ago, a young guy, the son of our friends, came to us and brought us a small piece of dried meat. This is not dog meat, not cat meat. This is pig meat. Now, every day, my wife cuts off a piece of this meat, and we enjoy it. It's a delicacy, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. The Lord takes care of us, exclamation point. We try to help our neighbors and poor people. For example, an elderly couple lives not far from us. They have a cow and help their old neighbors with milk. But because of the stress from the explosions, from the poor feed, the cow reduced her milk supply. 
He writes, I grew up in the village and I know what to do. I have a friend who produces sunflower oil. As a result of production, sunflower waste remains and the cow loves to drink tea from this waste. I bought 20 kilograms of waste from this friend. The people began to give their cow some of this to drink. The cow in gratitude began to give a lot of milk again. The next day, these people brought us two liters of milk. At that moment, we remembered that a young couple lives next to us who have a little girl. She is crying because she needs milk, which is not currently in the store. My wife gave this girl these two liters of milk. Her parents accepted our gift with tears in their eyes, and we thank the Lord for his mercy to our people and to us. Again, exclamation points. Every day brings us its surprises, and we do not sit idle. We keep praying because only he, our Lord, is the Prince of Peace. When I heard that, just as I even read it now, I was stirred. I was stirred with emotion. I was moved in a number of ways, moved for the plight of a fellow graduate, someone who's gone through the same education that I have, but finds themselves in a completely different place, experiencing completely different circumstances, and how hard that must be. But I was moved even more by the the windows into the inspiring lives of people who love others. That a neighbor, a friend would, would bring a piece of dried meat to sustain a family and that that family would use their uh, knowledge and ability to, to help get a cow producing milk again. And when they're given a, a gift of milk and gratitude rather than thinking, and as, as many probably would, and no one would probably fault them in a war-torn place of keeping that milk for themselves, their first thought is, what about the little girl who's been crying and I'm just moved by those things. And so I ask again, when was the last time that you were moved, that you were stirred, that you were you're stirred with compassion? I ask that because the words that we will hear from Jesus on the cross, the famous last words of his from the cross that we'll look at this morning in John chapter 19 are words that express tremendous compassion And I believe that if we have ears to hear, uh, they'll challenge us and they'll inspire us. And they might even move us to our own repentance and action moving forward. In John chapter 19, in the words that lead up to Jesus' words from the cross, we'll be looking at verses 25 to 27. John summarizes what happened at the cross. Uh, We don't know the exact placement of these words. What we do know is they seem to have come after the soldiers were fighting over Jesus' garments. And the last two weeks we've been in Luke looking at the words of Jesus there. And now John shares some of the words that he heard. We'll find that John knew these words well because in part they were spoken to him. Verse 25 first. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Near the cross of Jesus. It's important as we look at these words of Jesus from the cross that we do not lose sight. We do not forget that these words are born from a man who is suffering. He is agonizing. He is dying. He is fighting for every breath 
to form every word. It is near the cross of Jesus that this takes place. Near the cross of Jesus stood, and then four women are referenced. His mother, his mother's sister, which according to other gospel accounts could have been Salome, we don't know for sure, the mother of James and John. Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. These probably aren't the only four women there. Uh, Matthew, in his account, Matthew chapter, I believe it's 27, verse 55, speaks of many women following Jesus, some of them even being at a distance from Jesus. But it's interesting that these four women stand near the cross of Jesus. And one of the things that I can't help but consider is here... In, in the other gospel accounts, we, we see somewhat of an emphasis or an, a regular occurrence of people who should have stayed close to Jesus fleeing and being absent from Jesus. And yet here at the cross, these four women and the disciple whom he loves stay close. But what stirs me the most as I look at these words is the first woman mentioned. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mom. And as a parent, I cannot imagine, even if you know the purpose for which your son came, even if you know in the very name you gave him that he would save his people from their sins, like you're watching your child die. And there she is standing. She wouldn't be any other place. And, and if you're a parent, you know this, there's probably every ounce of energy within her is, is fighting back the desire to, to go and to bring him down herself or to take his place. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mom, able to hear his gasps, able to see his anguish. Part of her wanting to turn away, I'm sure, but, but the rest of it unwilling to miss the opportunity to see him one last time. I hope I never have to experience that horror. I know the reality is that some of you in this room have experienced that horror. You have held a child as they died. You have watched a child die. And I have heard that that is a grief like no other. I watched my great-grandmother as she grieved over my grandmother when she died at the young age of 53. And I remember my great-grandmother in her heavy German accent telling me that there was no grief like this. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. We don't know as much about the other women Mary's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, Mary Magdalene. We know the most about Mary Magdalene. We, we know that Jesus cast seven demons from her. We, we know from the other gospels that uh, she was so moved and so changed, she followed Jesus the rest of her days. We know from Luke chapter eight that Mary Magdalene even helped support. She was among the women that helped support Jesus with her own resources uh, we, we know that she's here at the cross. We know that she will be one of the first at the tomb to help take care of his body following the Sabbath. But that's all we know. 
And again, I'm struck. And while it's not the main point of what Jesus will share from the cross, I think it's worth considering. When so many others refuse to stand near Jesus in suffering, these four women and the disciple whom he loved did. And I think it's worth considering, will we be people who continue to stand near Jesus even when life is at its hardest? Even when we're pressed, even when we're threatened, will we stick near Jesus? But again, that question's not the main point. As we move on, we have the next part, verses 26 and 27. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. So here are our famous last words for today. Jesus in anguish, voicing from the cross, woman, here is your son, and voicing to John, the disciple whom he loved, here is your mother. What do we make of these words? I think it starts by looking at verse 26. When Jesus saw his mother there. Even as he suffers, even as he dies, even as he's overwhelmed with his own anguish, Jesus still is aware and sees his mother. He sees her. And what we'll see is that he is moved. He is stirred by what he sees and what he understands for her future. And so that compassion leads to action. What does Jesus do? He speaks to her. He says to her, woman, here is your son. Now, so we always have to be careful when reading scripture that we don't start with where we are and read that into the Bible. If we do that here, then we hear Jesus addressing his mom as woman and we think, oh man, why, why is he talking to her like that? For our mothers in the room, for our mothers online, if your child today would call out to you and say, woman, thank you for lunch. Woman, uh, would you do my laundry before school tomorrow? H how well is that going to go over? Uh, those of you who are children, if you spoke to your mom and told her, woman, how, how, how would she respond to that? But what we missed if we start where we are is that this is actually an expression of dignity and honor. You go back to John chapter two, Jesus had a wedding in Cana of Galilee. His mother comes to him and there again, he calls her woman. He says, woman, my time has not yet come. And the word that he uses there is actually a term of great dignity and honor which is fascinating. Here is Jesus, tempted in every way that we are, but was without sin. So that means that even as he suffers, there's probably a temptation to be caught up in his own suffering. And yet he sees his mother and he still treats her with honor and dignity. I shared this a couple weeks ago. We have instances here on the cross where we get to see the true integrity of Jesus. 
Jesus, a man who believed in God's law, who was the fulfillment of God's law, who knows the commands, honor your father and your mother, even in his death, what does he do? He honors his mama. I think, again, while it's not the main point of this passage, there's a challenge there for us, especially the youngest among us. Life can be hard. Drama unfolds in our life. Difficulties arise. Uh, Pressures come. We experience our own heartache and problems. But will we, even in our hurts, still choose to honor our mothers and our fathers? So here's Jesus. Woman, here is your son. What's, What's Jesus doing in this? What's the point of this? Throughout church history, uh, people have believed, and I believe rightfully so, that Mary is probably a widow already at this point. Here's some of the proof or the reasoning uh, why we believe that Mary was a widow. What do we see from Joseph in the early part of Jesus' life? Uh, Joseph is a God-fearing man. Uh, Joseph is a man of great faith. Joseph is a man who, when in a dream, an angel speaks to him and uh, tells him some news that is really hard to hear, that that your your future wife, the one you're betrothed to, is, is pregnant with a child that's not yours, but it's conceived by the Holy Spirit, believes God and takes him at his word. Takes God at his word. And when he could have had rights to divorce her quietly, no, he chooses to love her. He cares for her. He helps her to Bethlehem. He's there as the child's born. Again, in another vision, when when God urges him to go to Egypt, Joseph responds in faith. Joseph, as a faithful Jew, takes Jesus to be circumcised. Uh, Joseph is is a man of incredible faith. What do we see him doing later in Jesus' life when he's 12? He's, He's taking his family to Jerusalem for worship. He was faithful. But that encounter with Jesus at the age of 12 is the last we hear from Joseph. We see Mary. And so many assume that had Jesus still been alive, Joseph still been alive, that Joseph would have been at the cross with Jesus, and yet he's not there. Add to that Jesus' expression here. He says, woman, here is your son, looking at the disciple whom he loved, saying that you still have a son. Why is that important? Widows throughout the history of our world have always been some of the most vulnerable among us. There's a reason why when James writes, he tells us to look after widows and orphans in their distress, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. We look after widows. Widows are vulnerable. And in the first century, we see Jesus tell other stories about a a widow and her offering or, or tells a parable about a persistent widow and a judge because women could often be taken advantage of. Widows could often be taken advantage of. If, if a widow had no heir, no son to provide for her, uh, often she would fight to even survive. And so Jesus, even in his anguish, moved with compassion for his mom, provides for her future. Woman, here is your son. My beloved disciple John is going to take care of you. Is that not incredible? That even as Jesus dies, he so moves compassion for his mother, he arranges for her care. And he speaks to John and he says, here's your mom. And verse 27 says that from now on, he, he took her into his home. 
He took care of her. Now you may wonder, uh, why do we know that John was this disciple? I believe it's five times in the book of John we hear the expression or we see, we read the expression, the disciple whom Jesus loved. We don't know that the disciple whom Jesus loved is John until the end of his gospel. At the end of his gospel, there's that famous encounter of Jesus walking with Peter. It's kind of that restoration account where Jesus tells Peter to feed his sheep. And uh, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And as they're walking along, it tells us towards the end of John chapter 21 that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following. And so Peter looks back and he says, well, well, Jesus, what about him? And Jesus tells him a couple of times, well, what concern is that for you? And then John tells us at the end of John 21 that the disciple who Peter was talking about was himself. Verse 24, this is the disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. John says, I, I am the one whom Jesus loved. Obviously, he loved all of his disciples, but they shared a special relationship. So Jesus, we see here, moved with compassion I use the term move. I use this motion of like uh, moving my hand around my abdomen because uh, we know that the word the compassion in the New Testament has to do with feeling, a stirring in your bowels, like you are deeply moved towards something. Jesus has moved with compassion for his mother and that compassion leads him to action to provide for her. What are we to see here in these famous last words of Jesus is that Jesus is a man of compassion, even as he suffers, he is moved and stirred by the hurts of others. And that shouldn't surprise us. What do we see in the rest of Jesus' life? What happens when uh, he, he, he comes into Bethany and he's greeted by Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus has died? Jesus does what? He, he weeps. He weeps with them. Well, what happens when Jesus looks out and he sees these crowds? It says that he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Well, what do we see in Jesus when a blind man needs to see or a leper needs to be healed or the deaf needs to hear or the mute needs to speak? He's moved to help them. Even at the cross in this moment is Mary from Magdala who had seven demons in her. She speaks to Jesus' compassion. He was moved for her and he healed her and now she follows him. Jesus is a man of compassion because our God is a God of compassion. And something we may not think about much is that even as Jesus hangs on the cross, him being on the cross for our sin is an expression of his compassion. Jesus is moved, God is moved by the plight of sinners. He knows that our sin, our wrongdoing separates us from him and his best for us and our lives to be lived for him and for his glory. And so what, part of what keeps Jesus on the cross in this moment, part of what keeps him from passing the cup that he prays about in the garden is that he has compassion and wants to see us saved from our sin. So what's the takeaway for you and I? One, we must remember that our God is a God of compassion. 
He's a God who's moved by your hurts and your heartaches. I love the words of the psalm, Psalm 34, 18, that God is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. God is near and God comes close when our hearts break. I don't know where your heart's breaking right now. I don't know where you hurt, where you're overwhelmed with, with grief perhaps or uncertainty, but, but God draws near. Now, now we don't hear that God takes all of that away. There's suffering in this world. But the hope is in that God will walk with you through the trial, walk with you through the suffering. We see evidence of this throughout history. Uh, One of the places we see this is recorded actually in scripture. It's the story of Job. Job experienced all kinds of hurt and agony, lost his children, his livelihood, his health. Those closest to him, his friends, his wife, they ridicule him. And yet as you read the story of Job, as hard as it is, you see a man who has God walking with him in the midst of the trial. I think of the stories of the prophets, stories like that of Haggai who has to deal and live with and honor an unfaithful wife again and again and again. And God meets him there in the midst of it. And I think of Jeremiah who is cast into a cistern by his own people. And yet God meets him there. I think of Ezekiel who has to do all kinds of crazy things to show the world God's judgment and God's purposes and yet God carries him through. And I think of the disciples killed, stoned, and God carries them through. I think of Stephen who's being stoned after a powerful message and he looks up to the heavens and as he dies, God provides that rescue he's been hoping for. And I think of Paul, who was flogged uh, a number of times, who was beaten with rods, who was kicked out of cities, who was imprisoned multiple times, who was shipwrecked, and yet God meets him there. Our God is a God of compassion. And we have to acknowledge that perhaps his greatest compassion is on us as sinners. That God sees our sin. Our sin is our wrongdoing. It's every way we miss the mark, every way we move away from God's intents, God's purposes, God's standards, God's commands. And they are numerous. And he knows that those separate us from him. And yet in his compassion, he moves towards us in Jesus. And even once we confess that he is Lord and master, even when in faith we repent and follow him and we're baptized into him and he he begins that renewing work in us, he still sees that we sin. And as we come to him, we recognize that beautiful reward that he offers. Our God is a God of compassion. Have you responded to that compassion? I've been struck recently by the words in Romans chapter two that remind us that it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. It's God's compassion, it's God's kindness, it's it's God's pursuit uh, of relationship with humanity that then leads us to the place where we say, he's done this for me? 
Why would I want to live in sin? Why would I want to use my body in this way? Why would I want to abuse my body or others in this way? Why would I want to treat other people this way because of what he's done for me? That's what changes and that's what helps me. Have you responded to that? If you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we invite you to consider. Uh, we tell you every week, you can fill out a connection card, physical copy, email us, connect at lebanonchristian.org. Come forward at the end of one of our worship experiences and start the conversation. Scan one of the QR codes in our building and we're happy uh, to have that conversation. If you're already a follower of Jesus though, what, what, what can be a takeaway? Aren't we called to be like Jesus? Doesn't John chapter two, verse six, tell us that anyone who claims to live in him ought to walk as Jesus did? So let me ask this question if you call yourself a disciple of King Jesus. Is your life characterized by compassion? You see, sometimes we like to make the commands of God um, optional. But do you know that compassion is commanded of God's people? Colossians chapter three, verse 12. And this is not an exhaustive list, by the way. If you have a concordance in your Bible, you can find many more. But Colossians chapter three, verse 12. Again, God inspired Paul to write these words. This is a command from God. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with what? Compassion. Clothe yourselves. Like dress up in compassion. Compassion. Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Are you a compassionate person? Are you stirred? Are you moved by the hurts of other people? Are you moved by, by, by the sin in other people's lives to, to, to want to help them come to see who Jesus is? Or have you grown calloused? Do you clothe yourselves? Is it a regular part of your wardrobe that you're a person of compassion? If you are a follower of Jesus and your heart is hard, it is time for repentance. It is time to ask God to cultivate that compassion in you that was in him. 1 Peter chapter three. Again, just another of the many places we see this commanded of God's people. 1 Peter chapter three, verse eight. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Verse nine, do not repay evil with evil. Are you a man, a woman, a teenager who follows Jesus, who's characterized by compassion? If your heart does not ache for the hurts of other people, you should be on your knees asking God to stir within you a heart of compassion, a life of compassion. Because God uses his people as they're moved to respond to the hurts of other people. Yes, the hurt of sin, to speak truth into lives and to help people come to repentance and, and following Jesus, but also to meet tangible needs. Well, what do we see in John? John, hears Jesus provide for his mother. Here is your son. And John has to obey. And John, in turn, extends the compassion to Jesus' mother as he takes her into his home. Do you know one of the defining characteristics of the early church in the book of Acts is that they cared for each other. They met in each other's homes. They shared with each other. In Acts chapter six, there's a group of people following Jesus who see Grecian widows being uh, taken advantage of, being neglected, and, and, and they set a course to provide for them. Compassion. 
a man lame at the gate called Beautiful, and, and, and Peter and John come to his aid. Peter and John, Peter, sorry, imprisoned, and what are the believers doing? They're praying for him in the home of other followers of Jesus. Will we be people who respond with compassion as Jesus did on the cross towards his mom and towards us? Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for these words of Jesus. Father, though very few, they speak volumes. Lord, help us who confess and profess you as Lord and King to diligently pursue compassion towards others. Father, guide us and lead us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.